Welcome, everyone, to the latest, greatest episode of The Network Age. I'm Bitchel Rissen, here with my incredibly handsome co-hosts, Hepsil Rigner and Nilrun Marduk's voice. How are you doing today? Hey, doing really well. Great, thanks. We are going to be joined today by an extra special guest, Jay Yang of Tassin, also Mr. Todd Tegg on Urbit, and he is an incredibly smart, articulate, interesting guy who's as knowledgeable about the the finance side of things as he is about the the tech. So I think it's going to be a really great episode for for us to dig into all that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm pretty curious, honestly, just on the whole reassembly angle. You know, I heard about reassembly last year. I know a lot of people who are going this year. Um, I know a lot of the people from the UF are going. I think um, Ted is going. Thomas looks like they have Palfin flying all the way from the Netherlands. So yeah, really curious to hear more about this year's edition of Reassembly, who's going to be speaking, kind of what the vision is for that conference. Really good just to have these like, you know, more regular scheduled Urbit meetups happening. Now we have Assembly, Volcano Summit, Reassembly, just kind of getting a good cadence, I feel like, that's kind of mirroring some of the things that happened, you know, in the ETH community. So really good to see that in Urbit. And yeah, excited to hear also like just to get sold on Wyoming. Like why Wyoming? Should I should I move there? I don't know. Well, well, as a Mon- Montanan, I'll you know I'll I'll have to pick them apart. You know, because these states are not the same. Uh, there's mm. nothing similar. You know, the narcissism of small differences. Wait, which one's the big sky? <laughs> yeah, it's just squares. We'll kill you. It's just squares on a map, right? They're just squares. No, we've yeah, got you fly, a nice you fly little, over uh, it. We've got a nice little curve on the on the side against Idaho. A nice <laughs> a nice natural border. Um, so. We're gonna we're gonna dive into all of this plus tassin some really technical trading and blockchain talk for for the nerds out there who who want to get into it and uh, this is gonna be a nice wide ranging episode so and I hope you enjoy it. Welcome back to the Network Age. We're joined this week by Mr. Todd Tig otherwise known as Jay Yang, who is an Urbit OG, CEO of the non-custodial exchange Tassin, which is on the web at tassin.com, and a Wyoming maximalist. Jay, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'd like to start by just giving you a moment to talk about your background, like how you got into tech generally, and then how you got involved in Urbit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I actually uh, got my degree in aerospace engineering. I was a I was in a um, very lucrative, quote-unquote, field of um, experimental aerodynamics. Uh, worked in defense sector for about 10 years. And then uh, I said, yeah, this is uh, too small <laughs> to uh, uh, niche a field. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I, I served my country, so to speak, and uh, uh, and left and went into e-commerce and you know uh, found my way into uh, IoT and then you know, crypto, uh, finally. So it, my, my journey is very roundabout way to do it, but learned quite a bit. And, um, specifically, uh, my first exposure to crypto was around, uh, 2013 when I had a chance to buy Bitcoin for very cheap, but I, you know, of course did not. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> did you, did you buy a moment. pizza? 
no, I, you know, <laughs> it was even worse. I, I, you know, sent money to this, uh, some company called Duala and uh, they just returned it. So I couldn't, <laughs> couldn't do anything with it. They refused to make you ultra rich. Yeah, I, it's, it's one of those. I mean, I probably would have sold it a lot earlier than, you know, uh, holding on to it. I'm not one of those people. <laughs> of course. Yeah. And I, I mean, that's the thing about like actually investing is that anyone who held Bitcoin from the beginning until now must be totally insane also, right? Because of course, yeah. any rational person <laughs> would have gotten rid of it. So maybe that's a lesson for all of us to embrace a little more insanity than we have currently. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you can't build generational wealth without a little bit of insanity, I think, like <laughs> when it comes to this, this sort of thing. Yeah, 100%. Well, it's nice to know that, like, you know, someone who is in aerospace engineering and it was so obviously so much smarter than me made the same mistakes. So I, I, I like that. <laughs> I make no claims of <laughs> intelligence because mm -hmm. if I had, I actually would have held it. But um yeah, it's a it's it's crazy because you know it, it's a very um, it, it in one sense like you want to be innovative um, in the field, but in another sense it's a very um, controlled field um, because it's you know defense tech and everything, and uh, um, I, I I know a lot of smart people, but they're just kind of you know slogging it unfortunately. I, that's I think makes an interesting transition into crypto land where you know <laughs> there's uh, you know no no rules more rules now than there than there used to be but you know back in the in the wild west ICO days it's um, anyone could do anything and that had you know some negative consequences and also some really interesting stuff that came out of it so I'm curious like you know you talk about innovation what was your first big crypto project was it Tassin or were you involved in anything else before and how have you like felt about yourself as an innovator in this in this space yeah actually so I I you know I worked for um two different um companies uh one of them was a uh Metallica so it's a like a Venmo uh for crypto kind of play um and wait a second did you say Metallica uh, I, I, I wish. Uh, no, it's a company <laughs> called Metallicus. Uh, they cleverly named it uh, Metal Pay. And it's like a PayPal or Venmo kind of thing. This is about um, to take a very strange turn, I have to yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I would have loved to be able to claim Metallicus, uh, Metallica. But the, <laughs> um, and, and then um, I worked for another um, interesting project where it's it's super nerdy, super tradfi. It's like um, uh, something called a transfer agent, and uh, it, it's like deep in the um, clearing and settlement space of tradfi, uh, where they wanted to do something innovative with you know uh, blockchain, and it, it's a it was a it was a rabbit hole that I'm I'm actually glad that I was in in for a while. And then um, after you worked at these other companies, how long did it take for you to, I don't know, want to start your own project? Um, <clears throat> worked for about two years doing something else and then um, went to a friend's wedding. Uh, and on the flight back, I said, you know what? I traded um, enough and because I, I've been, you know, trading just regular stock and options and all this stuff since 2006, like out of my you know, first job, uh, I had a little bit of money. And of course, like, 
<laughs> like an idiot, I would buy an option, right? Um, <laughs> and, uh, so since then, I've been trading, and uh, you know, um, I, I I was asking myself a question on the flight back, like, hey, what do I, what kind of exchange would I want to trade in? And I just you know wrote jot down some notes, and this was um, June of uh, 2019, um, and you know put together like germ of what became the company. Um, now and of course like like all like best intentions like it took way longer than i expected it to like culminate into actual product but you know that's another story of course i was wondering if you could tell us a bit about what tassin is and how it works i you know obviously financial trading is right now the the core of what is happening in crypto. It's, I don't think we're going to be limited to that, but a lot of the most major innovations are happening in that space. And what makes Tassin different than other order books um, and exchanges? Right. So um, that's a great question. So the first thing that everybody will notice is that, you know, everybody heard about what happened with FTX, you know, this, this, uh, crook, uh, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, 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 that's, uh, yeah, of, of course. Um, so Sam Bankman fried, uh, guy who was in charge of a crypto exchange called FTX, um, you know, was in, uh, on the, on, at least on the surface, seemed enormously successful, you know, making billions of dollars and, you know, buying uh, Super Bowl ads and all that stuff. But it turns out that he was using the using depositors' balance as a uh, collateral for making a very um, you know uh, highly leveraged and risky uh, uh, trades, and uh, of course those trades went sour and um, lost a lot of money, and com- you know company uh, had to file for bankruptcy. And what that tells me is number one. Uh, custody risk happens a lot more frequently than, you know, uh, than people realize, like bank failures and exchange failures. And um, second is that, you know, this day and age, why should we entrust anyone else with our, you know, hard-earned cash, right? And, you know, there, there is, we have the technology. It's not like we don't have it. And so thinking about that, then, you know, the question was, well, then why do people still trade on centralized exchanges? Uh, there has to be a reason, right? And the reason is, of course, that they, you know, centralized exchanges are fast, uh, it's more convenient, uh, and, you know, fees are lower than decentralized exchanges because, you know, DEXs are slower and they rely on, you know, actual, like, you know, clearance rules and all that stuff. So. Um, thinking about that, uh, I started to think about, okay, well, how do we get around the fact of speed uh, while maintaining financial sovereignty for uh, the traders, right? So traders should self-custody, but we also want fast trades. And the solution is um, to have a hybrid approach where um, the settlement, which is like an ag- you know, aggregate of all of the trades, um, so like, you know, Alice and Bob may have had, you know, 10,000 trades between them, but really like, you know, settlement is, you know, just a summation of all, you know, aggregation of all of this. And maybe it's just one or two transactions that are required. So, which is perfect for on-chain uh, activity. So 
but you, we still need to have the traders custody and collateralize their own trade, meaning, well, if they want to trade in a venue where money is moving faster than what blockchain can keep track of, then we need to, you know, in a, in a very, uh, uh, very, uh, you know, a weird term, immobilize the fund so that um, the off-chain venue can then credit the, credit the traders. So by doing that now, by locking the funds uh, temporarily and then immobilizing the fund, we solve the problem of double spending um, in, in the uh, off-chain venue, and then we can then spend the money really, you know, we can then have people, you know, trade among themselves extremely fast. And then, you know, when they just need to get the money out, then uh, we do what's called a, a coordinated settlement where we calculate exactly how much money Alice owes Bob, Bob owes Charlie, and Charlie owes, you know, whoever, right? And that gets done on-chain. So the, the upshot to this is, <clears throat> that that the even if the exchange website goes down everybody can get their money out within the same day or even same hour or even same like you know within 10 minutes or whatever as opposed to like say ftx you know bankruptcy proceedings could take up to 10 years because and we actually know this because uh, mount gox which is another cryptocurrency exchange mm-hmm. uh, that went under in japan you know the last of the payments went out, you know, just a few months ago, which is 10 years. In the Incredible. Yeah. Speaking of, so like on that topic, you, I think, were telling me yesterday about um, dispute settlements and how you guys handle that. Like how long does it take? How do you guys handle it? Yeah. So, you know, the dispute resolution is a, a big, uh, big problem in you know, TradFi or anywhere else, like where you have like uh, issue of like delivery or merchants or whatever it is. So imagine when you're, if you're buying anything online, say from eBay, then um, depending on whether they actually fulfill their term, you know, on the seller side, you might say, well, I never got my stuff. So, and I pay, so I, I need to be refunded or whatever it is. Um, so it works very similar to that um, because, you know, Ultimately, there, unless you're, all of the assets that you trade are on the same cryptocurrency network. So, like ERC, you know, if it's ERC twenty uh, uh, token trading with another for another ERC twenty token, then it's on the Ethereum network. So you can do what's called a atomic swap, uh, where operation of swapping one asset for another happens simultaneously, and you can guarantee that. But um, in most cases, people want to actually trade one asset or another asset on different networks like Bitcoin to ETH or whatever. Mm. Um, and when that happens, like delivery now becomes an issue, just as same as say like eBay delivery. Now, the dispute resolution is when, um, say, in our case, um, one of the the we have uh, we have a system called. Uh, you know, network validators that validate whether someone owes someone that much money or not. So it's like a, a de- decentralized way to keep track of who owes what money to whom, uh, much in the same way that uh, transaction validators on existing cryptocurrency networks um, process. But if there's like anyone that's operating a validator on our network, on the settlement network that provides incorrect value, then uh, there has to be some remedy, right? Like what if, say, one of the validators lied on its own account of events, like, say, you know, 
well, I owe, you know, uh, Alice like a million dollars when I don't even remember doing that trade. Um, it's easy mm -hmm. to prove because in those cases, the trades would have to be signed by me as well as Alice and then by the exchange. So there's first like a signature verification process. And so if something was reported without that whole signature verification, then it's easy to prove automatically that something went wrong. So that's like a first step in guard. Second is um, we uh, the settlement network allows for roughly four to five days of dispute, meaning if any of the validators or any network participant uh, finds, you know, reported values are incorrect by the validators, they can uh, submit a on-chain call on, you know, uh, one of the networks that we operated and say, yeah, I don't think your account event is correct. And here's my proof that this is true. And the way that we keep track of it is um, we have, we generate a um, lot of, um, yeah, we generate a lot of um, uh, data that uh, is cascading. That means that, um, like, you know, the information that could have only uh, arrived at when, like, someone has that info that has been signed and verified. So by doing that, it allows for us to, like, uh, quickly calculate whether even the dispute is correct. And then when the dispute is correct, then we make the aggrieved, you know, the damaged party whole from you know, automatically through network function. And the the way that we pay for that is the validators are um, required to put up 100% of the trade volume that they service. So like if there's a you know, settlement block of $1 million, then the validators have to put up a million dollars because damage it, maximum damage is a million dollars. And then there's 15% additional. So it's like, 115% collateral requirement by the you know validator. So they have every incentive to not lie. Um, otherwise they get slashed and they have to pay, you know, traders. Back to a user experience um, question that I have. There there are a couple of things that like traders care about. One of those is is like TPS. So can you tell us roughly how many transactions or uh, yeah. matches are made? Oh, absolutely. Whatever, absolutely. whatever time frame is relevant. Yeah, so the in, the interesting consequence of this is that we can, uh, so each time that the settlement happens, there is, you know, it could represent anywhere between a couple thousand trades, or it could represent a million trade, meaning that uh, since like we're reducing the, you know, uh, obligation from one trader to another into a, you know, single singular result, uh, it can be a million trades in between the settlements. Um, and so the, Transactions per second um, is not as accurate a measure for us, unfortunately, uh, because we're not running a our own crypto network. Uh, we, you know, we are connected to multiple crypto networks um, using validators that are listening on, um, you know, the network activity and indexing all the transactions and all that stuff. Uh, but yeah, it could be somewhere between thousand to a million trades uh, before a settlement happens. Um, and, but for the order book in the exchange side, um, so currently like you can imagine every time you go to Coinbase or Binance or any of these cryptocurrency exchanges, um, there's going to be somewhere between two, 200 to, you know, 
2,000 uh, requests that are coming from each trader because they're algorithmic traders or whatever. And you multiply that by however many traders that are trading at any given time, like 10,000, it, it can balloon enormously. So um, you can say something like, at any given time, probably want to be able to handle somewhere between 100,000 and 200,000 transactions per second um, in, on the uh, off-chain venue that services the actual like you know order book and updating uh, you know, orders and all that stuff. So the exchange itself is extremely fast. Um, and yeah, so we have Alpha right now uh, launched and um, we were also doing a lot of stress tests to be able to tell, hey, like what is like the actual throughput? Uh, will it will it uh, you know choke or will it survive the onslaught if it's wildly successful? Uh, of course, like you know uh, that that's the dream I have. And what segment of traders are you targeting? Like what particular group do you think um, will like Tassin? Um, I think it's <clears throat> it's good for like people who have traded crypto a little bit and understand you know the exact like uh they have an itch like for example hey i just want to buy um crypto but i don't want to have to like you know assume a lot of custody risk i don't want to have to give a lot of kyc info which is going to get lost anyways because they get hacked you know i think privacy oriented traders um uh would be one of them uh i think you don't that's want like people who don't want to get rugged that's absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's what I was going to say is like, uh, you were, you were talking earlier about people keeping money on exchanges and, and that it actually happens that bad things happen. And I'm like, I'm like here to be witness to the fact that in 2020, I think it was 2020. You were rugged. I was rugged by KuCoin. I think <laughs> you, you guys might remember the KuCoin hack. Uh, and I think, okay. I think theirs was something incredibly stupid. Like they were keeping, they were keeping funds in hot wallets or like, Somebody, somebody got disgruntled and had access to the keys or something like that. Luckily, I, they were decent to their customers and had an insurance fund and things like that. But, I mean, you know, my a not insignificant amount of money for me was locked up and I was unable to do anything about it. And it was in limbo. I had no idea what was going to happen. Can I trust these people are actually going to, you know, do what they say they're going to do? Are they actually insured? It's a weird Chinese, you know, it's, they say they're Singapore, but the CEO is yeah. Chinese and I'm in China and I know these wonderful people and, uh, <laughs> you know, how, how, how these things work. And, and even then, I mean, you know, Jay, like Jay said earlier, right. It can, if something needs to go to court, it can take a, a decade to, yeah. to get that. And uh, what if I needed that it, money or, you know, like how much did I yeah. lose in mm -hmm. opportunity cost because I wasn't it'll, able to, to, to make a trade or something like that? It'll all be inflated away by then anyway, by the time you get it. Yeah, you know, we'll be Luckily, I, I actually $10,000 to get a Whopper. Yeah, I actually years. lost all mine to, you know, to to the bear market. So, you know, it doesn't I was rugged by the bear. It comes for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like there's no escape. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as um, back the bunny said on our episode, hit, you know, well, uh, sometimes wealth is a low interest rate phenomenon. Kind of pivoting a little bit from Tessin in terms of Urbit, like what what got you involved in Urbit? When did you hear about it? You know, what brought you from hearing about Urbit to being an investor in Urbit projects? Yeah, that's a, that's a quite a quite a good question. Um, in fact, uh, a lot of I uh, maybe not, you know, as interesting as some of the other people's stories. But um, the first time I heard about it was 
um, uh, from a <clears throat> um, weird blog by this uh, blogger who um, pretended to be a horse or something like you know, and then he was talking about. The, the secrets of Martian computing. I don't, I, I'm sorry. It's a very weird story. Um, no, no. He had it, it wasn't like a weird fetish website. It was just the what, what uh, kind of horse? Um, it was just a regular white horse uh, profile. <laughs> a regular um, for all you horse for all you horse people out there. It was a regular white. Yeah, horse. Regular, yeah. regular white. Uh, this stuff. is how we all got oh, into yeah. Urbit, you know. So it's just the same we followed the white horse. horse. Yeah, exactly. Um, mm-hmm. No, I mean, it, it, I think it was a reference to Gulliver's Travel, where like in the third or fourth, oh, the Wenham. Yeah, 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 exactly. And so it's like one of, the, and then this um, horse character uh, was like writing about, you know, the how the how is Martian computing different than human computing? And he like went into it in quite a detail in, in, a, in a very like you know well thought out erudite manner. Uh, like as if like this character is like exploring like a mysterious technology and i I was like i was just you know it was very gripping it was like oh wow this is this is exciting um the smartest horse you've ever talked to absolutely smartest horse (laughs) i I just want to i just want to disclaim um real quick that uh, nobody on the network age has ever read this uh person or horse and if we had (laughs) we disavow everything his entire corpus and we disavow that's a good, good, uh, good perspective to have. Um, <laughs> and uh, I was reading this, uh, you know, very interesting te- uh, tech review, essentially. <clears throat> and one of the things that really got me interested was um, just kind of like central tenets of Urban, which is uh, deterministic computing, which, you know, we, we're still all for, hopefully. And, uh, <laughs> um, and then secondly, like things like, oh, you know, operating system as a, uh, you know, asset compliant operating system, right? Like that, that, that was like amazing to me. And then, you know, the idea of, you know what, what if you, you know, froze the code actually and uh, write software once and make it run forever? Uh, what a, you know, what a great concept. And, and then after that, went to, uh, heard about, you know, uh, this fella, uh, not related to horse, of course, um, and uh, this fella getting like disinvited from Strange Loop, um, you know, which is a tech conference. Again, disavow. And, uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, just uh, you know, kind of like uh, this this like Satoshi Nakamoto kind of fella, um, and um, yeah, disinvited, and I was like, I'm intrigued. Why? <laughs> and then of course dug more into uh, this person's writing. But more importantly, the tech, like I'm, I'm just like, okay, I'm sick and tired. I mean, you know, I've been writing software for at that point, like 13, 14 years. And I'm like, I'm sick and tired of writing regular software. I'm, I, you know, I need something new. And, uh, uh, heard that this person got invited to Lambda Conf. And around that time, I somehow wiggled my way into getting a planet from Tulan, uh, <clears throat> and, uh, uh, you know, playing Is this around with the- it. I- is this before the uh, Ethereum um, contract? Yeah, the long time before. Yeah, so you you got yours by email or something like that, right? Oh yeah, I got I got by email. And, yours was uh, a, yours uh, is the the blockchain of the Excel spreadsheet, I think. Oh, absolutely! I was I was hooked. You know, like, Powerful. Uh, okay, back to, back to back to roots. <laughs> um, and and uh, 
yeah, and then you know, like just kept kept up with it, and the community was great, even though it was tiny. And like this was when like talk was like in still in like terminal. Um, I think I messed around with like, oh, I want to create like a you know little community for people who are interested in like trains and you know rail railway and stuff like that. Of course, no one showed up, but you know that's besides the point. It was like I was having fun again. You know, uh, that's how I got involved in Urbit and just kept up with it. That's awesome. I'm surprised. I feel like Urbit would have a pretty uh, strong train community if anywhere if anywhere was going yep. to. Still to this day. <laughs> that, that is that is uh, blasphemy. The Urbiters are 35 year old uh, dads. That's <laughs> is that not a main train enthusiast? Uh, yeah, it feels uh, like well, a train demo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's how I got that, my wife. Anyway, I showed yeah. her my train. Well, beyond uh, you know your your failed train enthusiast group, um, what what do you think right now is the most um, promising work on Urbit? I know that you have done some investing. What applications are right. getting your attention? And perhaps it, like, do you have any um, criticisms of of how of Urbit development as well as like you know, it's mixed in with your optimism. Like, obviously, yeah. some things go well, sometimes it's not so smooth. I'm curious, is your perspective as someone who's who's been there uh, since the horse days? <laughs> right, right. Um, so I think, like, uh, what what's being done right is there's a slow, you know, continuous improvement. Uh, and, and, like, you just have to have that endurance. And so I think that's, that's what's good. You know, it's like Talon, you know, uh, and and everybody else involved in urban development is just 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 has the stamina to do it. Like it, you know, <laughs> uh, people get people get tired of something that they've been working for a couple of years and they move on. But it, there's there's this like de, you know grim determination, which is great to see. Um, <clears throat> I think the what's also great is like some of the projects that are you know popping up on top of it. Like you know, there's a uh, uh, it's sort of like a, a zero knowledge pro- prover that's being uh, made to operate with knock uh, you know zorf uh, you know yeah we had again. we had logan on in a previous episode and yeah know, phenomenal if, if phenomenal. you listeners have not heard it yet he's a he's a pretty smart guy and worth listening yeah. to yeah i mean it's 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 a really great you know application of technology and also you know of course you know Akbar, like you know i'm a big fan of it um, and just the idea of, okay, well, there are some guarantees that Urbit provides, but, uh, if you want like, you know, blockchain, like, uh, functionality that then, yeah, you need something on top of it. So I think Okbar is a really interesting, interesting, like, and much needed projects that are coming up. And then there's like other stuff, like, you know, the usability side, you know, like, you know, portal is one of them, I, you know, I haven't used it extensively, uh, but it's, it's really useful. Um, and, you know, of course I have to, you know, plug Trill because I, I use it every day and other, uh, you know, just, just like plethora of innovations, like, you know, like having a you know, Holium, like a lot of people have like mixed feeling about like hosted Urbit, but Holium really did a great job of like bringing usability to the forefront. And I think they have a really you know, nice looking user experience, like, you know, and I'm, I'm all for it. I think we're... Arbit falls a little bit short on is like, maybe this is m- much more of a tech nerd than me talking 
is just like uh, robust backup, uh, meaning like I ne never know like when uh, I should be able to just, you know, move stuff. Like there, there's no like continuous backup uh, that allows for like state uh, backup to be done. Like if the host machine that has like the ship just goes down and like you don't have the, the peer, then it's just gone. You have to breach and all that. So I think that's like one of them, but I, I know people are working on this solution. Like the second part I think is much more, <clears throat> much more important is just, you know, getting uh, business ready tools. Uh, I, I mm -hmm. brought this up to Galen several times and I think he's like un he's understanding it now, now that like the Toulon hosting is set up. Like things like, how do I de-Google my life? <laughs> you know, like the Google Drive, sure. Gmail, you know, all that stuff. I think that's where Orbit, you know, can excel. But again, like that's like a, you know, user space, like application side of things. Mm. And you've been involved now, you know, for a number of years, like has it been moving at the pace you've expected or how is moving towards this future Mars computing gone from your perspective? I think that first party development um, has been deliberately slow because there are a number of like more fundamental level improvement that had to be done. Um, uh, like for example, like Gratch and later deciding to move away from it and all this stuff, like going back and forth, um, imposes a lot of like constant developers who want to develop on it. Um, but it's, it's much needed. And then, um, which means that like, like a lot of the user space apps, like are the initiatives of like, you know, enthusiasts and people who like Urbit as a tech and as like a, you know, essentially like a brand new lifestyle moving away from this like centralized, you know, um, internet. And like, so for an example, like um, self-hosting has always been a problem because like not everybody is like Linux system administrator, uh, but it has gotten better and better over time. Like, you know, just sort of like the community knowledge has gotten better. And then finally, like very recently we have, you know, native planet for, you know, just self-hosting. And before that, there was like small computing guys. Um, so it's gotten better, but at, at the, at just like what a healthy community should do, I think it's because people are constantly engaged, not because like first party is, you know, the only one that's doing development. So it's at a snail's pace, I would say, but you know, it's like a snail that's, you know, 500 tons and it's, it's about to, <laughs> you know, devour the world kind of thing, you know, so incredible fine. powerful snail. Exactly. That's a great I, tag I'm for Urbit. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to put that on the next t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that, um, well, I, I, I know I haven't been on Trill very much um, recently and I, I went on, I, I re-downloaded it and was really impressed Um by how it's operating and how it's how it's moving now, it really has progressed a ton since since last I was on it. But I, I went back on because you were um, you you were posting a, a screed about why you hate Picasso. So I, I, I meant to go on and 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 fight you there. Uh, but yeah. then once once we decided um, to to have you on, I thought I could I could tell you to your face, so to speak, that uh, you're crazy, man. Absolutely. <laughs> But I, uh, I mean, it's cool that like, you know, this is, I was really impressed that it's working. You can comment on it. You know, it's like, it's a lot faster than I expected. Things are moving back and forth and, you know, it's, it's not perfect, but it's a real, 
usable application, which in in the Web3 world is, uh, you know, a home run. <laughs> these yeah. Days. Yeah. I mean, Polwex is the <clears throat> fellow that's working on um, Trill. It's a, it, it literally, I think, is a one-man show. And I'm, you know, I'm always amazed, like, what could Polwex do with $44 billion, right? Like, just imagine. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's my question. Let's say, yeah. let's give him $44 billion and see who's got, I, I, who's got that kind of cash. I don't have 44 billion, but I got a little bit of money. So, you know, I'll be happy to. So, but you did invest in, um, Trill, you, you helping him bring it to some sort of fruition? Uh, no, not yet. That's the thing. So we're, we're in discussion about putting together something like, you know, just modest amount, uh, 40,000, 50,000, uh, to make it worthwhile, you know, someone's time to put some extra, you know, time into it and, you know, tender loving care into the app because, you know, previously, like it worked, but it, you know, it's as a solo developer, it's a very lonely world and you don't really know, like if someone's appreciating your app and like, as you guys know, like open source development is, it's very thankless job. Um, so I just wanted to kind of like, you know, show a little bit of thanks because I, I, I used to use it every day and I want to use it again. <laughs> so, um, that's sort of my selfish, selfish desire. And I also don't really particularly enjoy using Twitter. So, you know, this is a win-win for me. Yes, yeah, it's, it's probably good that we tell listeners who have no idea what we're talking about that Trill is a microblog um, that is like, you know, I don't know if close to feature parity with Twitter is the right thing to say, but it is um, sort of a Twitter clone if you imagine what a Twitter clone that is decentralized and self-hosted looks like and uh it has some features that you can't have on twitter as well which is like one i think is really cool is anonymous posting so you can just kind of like flip a switch and now you're on your any post that you make is anonymized and put on an anonymous global feed which is really cool yeah i i think i think there are certain things that only um uh, applications on orbit can do and this is a good use of it like the anonymized post is one of them um, and then like seamlessly linking, um, you know, your Orbit ID with Trill. Um, and then, uh, you know, uh, <clears throat> there's a, it, on, on Orbit for audiences who are not familiar, there's this concept of, okay, applications are friendly to one another. You know, imagine that, right? And the applications that are uh, compatible with one another, so you can kind of have similar composability as you would with, you know, writing different programs that are intended to work together. So like there's an app called Pals, which manages your relationship with other people uh, that is also compatible with Trill. So, you know, visibility set through Pals is showing up through like, you know, permission uh, is compatible with Trill permission. So it, it's like a, it's a really good use of um, what would like these, uh, you know, so this like a uh, new internet will work, and I, I'm just, I'm just excited to be part of it. And I, if some of your excitement, I imagine, comes from the sort of culture and community of Urbit and the people who are interested in these things. And I guess this is sort of leading to a question that has been interesting to me, as you know, um, people who listen to the show regularly will know that we often talk about living abroad outside the US and building, you know, like, what are the steps to build communities that are connected, um, both digitally and 
physically? What is it? What does the network state look like? How do you build community that is leveraging these technological tools to inspire, you know, greater human development and along, um, you know, aligned values and something. And I know that, that you live out in Wyoming. Um, you know, I live in Montana, so I, I did want to do a bit of, um, mountain west banter here but i'm curious what your experience as a builder investor technologist is out in a place that doesn't necessarily have a reputation of um (laughs) you know it's not silicon valley so to speak and i know that like wyoming has you know like pioneered some dow laws and has caused some companies to at least nominally incorporate there but i don't think Wyoming is exactly flooded with um, with crypto offices, right? So, yep. it, what is it? What is it like on the ground there? Do you have um, a community in person, or is it mostly you know via something like Urban? Um, mostly, it's uh, so unlike say Silicon Valley, where like there's huge amount of money slashing around, and you know there's uh, tech talents everywhere. Uh, Wyoming is very much frontier in terms of tech and venture financing just does not exist. Um, so which is to not, not to scare people, <laughs> they should definitely come. In fact, you know, I think it's, uh, it's, it's the right early opportunity moment here for everybody. And the state itself is very interested in fostering technological development, like, you know, tech companies to come here. But again, there, there's very much of a, um, like, yeah, they want to be like they're they're not like uh, they're not like New York or California where they're going to put up money to invest in companies uh, from state fund, for an example. So you know, depending on your like philosophical leaning, that's good. Uh, and I, I I quite admire that like that that the state is just you know willing to create the right environment for it. But it also means that any innovators coming here shouldn't expect special treatment. Um, so the tech community here is very small. I mean, like Cheyenne, this city that I'm in, I live in here is only about 66,000 people. So to most people, this is like small town. Um, and the whole state has only 580,000 people. So like it's smaller than most. You live in the big city. You're a city slicker out there. That's right. In fact, I, (laughs) I live right smack in the downtown area. So I'm the, I'm the city slicker, slicker, as Mm -hmm. they say. And, uh, but I think there's still this um, wide-eyed optimism about like future. Like I, I still feel that, and in in a very I, I don't know maybe I'm being naive, but there's there's still a little bit of like frontier spirit left here. Um, you know, even after all these like things that have happened, all the pandemic nonsense, you know, all that stuff has happened, people you know are are still optimistic and. The city works it's not like you know run over by homeless like you know government actually does its job the, the state government ran on surplus for many years so you know there's something that's working here and i i think that what's missing is just like okay um are the tech elites or tech you know entrepreneurs who say stuff about uh being out there libertarian you know concept and you know working remote all that stuff willing to actually take that, uh, you know, my challenge to them is, okay, practice what you preach, go to middle of nowhere, because you have internet, you should, you know, you should be fine. 
And uh, I want more people to come here. Uh, that's sort of like what I'm trying to do. Like people think that there are like tumbleweeds on the street and it's like unpaved and people are riding horses. Uh, you know, it's 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 fairly modern. You know, we got like fiber optic <laughs> and everything here. <laughs> and everything. What, I wish it was brought, like that. <laughs> what brought you there initially, Jay? Um, I was living in Silicon Valley. Uh, so I was living in a city called Milpitas, which is for those of you who are unfamiliar with San Francisco Bay Area. Bay Area is huge. And it's close to San Jose, which is on the southeast corner of the San Francisco Bay. And what I would do is <clears throat> I would commute from there on the southeast corner of the Bay to San Francisco proper by train every day. And it's like an hour and 15 minutes one way and an hour and 15 minutes the other way. And mm. I worked in uh, part of San Francisco that's supposed to be like financial center called Embarcadero. Oh boy, you, you don't want to go there. <laughs> uh, I once <laughs> had my car broken into and this uh, guy like smoked a you know, pipe and then left the pipe in my car. And it's just like, it was just, you know, bad. Gifted um, it. Interesting. I'll okay. give it to me, yeah, for sure. And and uh, you know, on the way train back, it's just bad experience. There's always one crazy guy, you know, who's like urinated and soiled himself. Sorry about that. Sorry, bitch. Yeah, I, you know. <laughs> yeah, and it's like I did that for like two years, and I was like, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> I need to get out of here. Um, and so I looked at okay, well, different places. Like you know, now, now that I'm going to start a company, let's figure out somewhere else that's actually you know normal people are decent and Wyoming came up on top like I was thinking about South Dakota and you know uh, South Dakota is great beautiful um, but it's just very it's surprisingly a lot more remote mm. than Cheyenne so so you wanted to get out of like coastal city problems get oh, to the sure. yeah okay nice and how have you found it just like hiring people like, do people, are you just hiring people who are already in Wyoming or do people move out there? Um, yeah, my yeah. my preference is to hire people out here. So, like, for example, like operations staff or, you know, um, uh, people like that, like, you know, at the HQ. Um, so we, we bought a building out here, too. Um, it's, it's relatively straightforward to find those talents, like accountants and, you know, lawyers and all that stuff. But software engineers, again, difficult breed. Uh, to find uh, because usually what happens is they get their CS degree from University of Wyoming and they go somewhere else, you know, and uh, uh, but like my corporate policy has been, you know what, let's just, you know, be pragmatic, try to deliver the stuff first. So if we can hire developers here, great. If we can, then we'll just hire someone remote and we'll work remote. So, you know, we have 26 or so um, employees and contractors and most of them are remote. There's maybe about six or seven of them that are local here in, in mm. Cheyenne. Well, I'll, uh, I was going to give you, give you some advice. If you need any, um, content or, or copywriting and want to stay local, you should just go, go camp out in Laramie at the, uh, at the university and poach all the, the MFA grads that have no nice. other job prospects. Cause when I, you know, when I came out of the university of, of Montana, the writing program, which I did, before this, there was a period where like three or four people in my class all somehow ended up doing crypto writing at the same time. So oh, wow. <laughs> you can go, uh, you know, find an unlikely uh, source of people who uh, have no other option but to. Um, oh, failing, failing upwards there. Exactly. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. 
Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, you know, just the folks in, in state uh, have been very helpful. So there's like University of Wyoming, they have like Blockchain Center of Excellence, uh, Stephen Lupien, who's, uh, uh, who's husband to um, Caitlin Long. So he's in charge of that. And so, yeah, like they've been, you know, we've been building a community out here essentially for like crypto and tech and um, slowly trying to help each other out in terms of like business and stuff. Um, but it's just a matter of like, okay, um, the sky is falling <laughs> because uh, SEC did this or, you know, CFTC did that or, you know, banks are failing. Like, you know, what, what else can happen, right? <laughs> I, I understand that you are... You have a large contingent in Japan as well. Is that right? Is it just engineers? Are you incorporated there? What's the situation there? Yeah. So um, we have a subsidiary there, a wholly owned subsidiary. And we actually purchased the company there and went through the whole like process of converting it to joint stock company. Um, so if any of you guys are interested, just you know, message me <laughs> on like how to do this in Japan. But yeah, we have, we have a um, subsidiary that's mainly for developers. Um, and so we have right now, let's see, uh, four developers and one administrative staff and, uh, two more being hired there in Japan. Um, so yeah, we're, we're, um, we're very much, um, uh, you know, uh, into, uh, like building like company there and possibly like exploring, Hey, like, can this company also <clears throat> do more than just do like dev you know, development operation, right? Um, so like, oh, so so is this this is a question then of like, are you also registered as an exchange in Japan, or is that just for like develop uh, developer talent? Um, for now, it's developer talent, but we you know we now that that gives us like a foothold to you know consider um, uh, exchange operations there. Right. But <clears throat> what's also uh, like kind of strategic for us is in Japan, you know. Uh, they do a couple things very well, and one of them is learning from past. And uh, when Mount Gox failed, they put together a industry board that decides, hey, this token is perfectly fine to be listed in exchanges. Uh, you know that sort of thing, things that SEC should be doing but refuse to do. And so, but the threshold for doing that uh, by this like you know um, working group or committee is that the token project has to like operate out of Japan. So it gives us a good like, you know, um, foothold and, and uh, justifications to say, hey, like, can you guys list, you know, the tokens that we're working, token that we're working on, you know? Uh, so that, that gives us a lot of uh, opportunity. So would you say there's like more regulatory clarity in Japan than there is in the US? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, <clears throat> Japan was the first one to say cryptocurrency is just currency. So it fell under, in one way, it's not a very good thing because now it fell under sort of like foreign exchange, like trade or forex trade kind of rules. But, it, you know, because in U.S., uh, cryptocurrency or crypto assets are considered property, which is a lot more, there's very distinct and different um, rules surrounding it. Uh, but at the same time, uh, you know, they have rules that makes much more sense, like meaning how do we fast track some of the projects, you know, it just green light these things so that people can get on with your, their lives as opposed to um, regulatory agency being very like hostile and, you know, filing lawsuits and all that. So um, yeah, in some ways they're very much a lot more pragmatic than United States, I would say. 
All right, Jay. So you left SF, you moved to Wyoming, and now you've been doing reassemblies. So you've had reassembly for one year. Is this is this just an excuse to get friends to visit you <laughs> in Wyoming, or is this or is there something else here? Like, no, actually, actually, that's part. I mean, large part of it. So you got me there. Um, but uh, show everybody you know, the like, trains. Well, that, that's true. Yeah, the trains are nice. Uh, we have a Union, Union Pacific Railway right here. But it's more like, you know, gently trying to coax people into moving to Cheyenne, Wyoming. I guess that's like my selfish desire. <laughs> um, because, you know, just just that, like, I think there's like a multipolar world of, you know, urban, you know, maximalists, like one in, you know, El Salvador, one in, you know, uh, different places. So, you know, my, my, my feeble attempt at trying to um, you know, bring mm. people in. You're trying um, to organize the homesteader component of her bit, that, which is actually right. quite exactly. big. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And this is the right state for it. I was, I was just driving out the, like, 15 minutes out the town, and there, there's a property for 40 acres, and you know, no mule, but 40 acres and a home. So you know, it's a big, big, big property. Um, so that's part of it. And you know, second is like it, it. I think it falls well within like. It, I started this before. You know, I'm, I'm not saying like, you know, anything else outside of this, but I, you know, when, um, network state, uh, book came out, I was like, yeah, that's exactly what I want. I want to, you know, take part in it. Right. And, and I, and I organized the, the conference long before that kind of, you know, uh, not knowing, you know, formula for network state, but it turns out, yeah, mm. that's exactly, you just organize, bring people in, um, and then organize off you know online and offline and use Urbit as a tool to do it and so it, it's just my way of um, you know uh, doing that and also it's like when I started my company I uh, <laughs> emptied out my 401k and then sold my bitcoins I, I wish I didn't have to but I did because I didn't have income um, this was around when Bitcoin was like thirty eight hundred dollars too so I sold a lot when Jeez. I shouldn't have yeah, I know. Not, <laughs> and, none of um, us is making it into heaven. Oh God! <laughs> and and uh, I also had something like thirty six stars because I I bought uh, you know all of them at the first two rounds of uh, crowd sale, um, and I had to sell all but four of them to like fund my company. It's it, it was a uh, it was like a. But anyways, like, I guess it, what I'm trying to say is it's my way to say thanks to the Urbit community. It's like, uh, you know, without like without that, uh, my company wouldn't have survived. I, I can just frankly, like flat out say that, you know, uh, without the stars that I bought and without all the, you know, like, you know, sort of camaraderie that people have been showing. Like every time I go to like one of these urban meetups, whether it was in San Francisco or elsewhere. Oh, no, it's just, it's just, just a, a nice little plug. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the last bit is like, <clears throat> there's, I also want to see it succeed because it's the type of future I want to live in, right? It's like, a, I don't want to live in the future where like Python is the norm, is the norm where, you know, like, or the future where, you know, um, big, huge, like Megacorp, um, like Facebook or Twitter owns all your data and, mm. and control over like how you say things, how often. I, I don't really like that at all, you know, as a normal, you know, um, normal person. And um, 
I, I, I just want to see this thing succeed to the end. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. and like what little help I can give it, you know, that's organizing and bringing people together, investing money, boosting signals, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. So can you talk more about the reassembly event? I heard a little bit about it last year. I saw some speakers mentioned, mm -hmm. like what's, what's the size? Is, is it happening at your offices? Can you talk about like yep. the size, the venue and like the focus, like for example, you know, Volcano Summit in El Salvador, that was mostly like a developer conference, although we did have some executives mm -hmm. and VCs there. What's sort of the yep. focus of reassembly? Um, yeah, it's also for hardcore Urbit devs um, or like longtime Urbiters. Um, and the size of the venue, you know, I think last year we had a roughly uh, 50 to 60 people show up. And, you know, I consider it a success because, you know, who wants to come to middle of nowhere, you know, um, U.S., right? Uh, but, like, we own a you know, large venue here. We own an office building here so we can host an even bigger one. Um, so, like, we want to, <clears throat> I want to keep the event free. And if uh, anybody wants to show up, they can. And uh, most of the uh, sort of, like, um, urban developers that, we've reached out to, you know, asking whether they want to speak, have been very positive. You know, they were either willing to give remote talks mm. or fly here. Um, so speaker-wise, this year we have, I believe, 16, uh, 17 confirmed. Um, and then for signups, uh, so far, roughly 60 or 70. So, you know, we might have 100 people here, which is great. I mean, th that's like a large percentage of a total population of Wyoming. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, a, uh, I'm excited. I was, wanted to go last year and wasn't able to, but I'm hoping to make it out this year. You know, we're, you know, we're yeah. only about 12 hours away, which is practically next door out in the West. So um, <laughs> it'll, it's just a hop, a hop, skip and jump. Oh, I, I was just going to say, yeah, I mean, we'd be happy to like drive out to wherever. I mean, whether it's Montana or maybe we'll have one in, you know, El Salvador, suggest a new venue, we'll, we'll go, uh, we'll, you know, I'll, I'll invite people there. But yeah, it's like, there, there are some VCs who show up incognito, but like, it's not as like, I, I don't, yeah, I, I'll just, I'll just flat out tell you. I don't know a lot of people outside of urban. Um, so <laughs> Neither do we, so know. it's okay. <laughs> I'm uh, preparing to go to an urban meetup in Buenos Aires in like 10 minutes. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I mean like, yeah. So not, not a whole lot of like non-orbiters show up or, or like, yeah, I, I, w I wish I had the, you know, the reach and pull to bring in more VCs, but at least like one of the, heavy urban supporters are going to show up. Um, Jake Brookman from, you know, coin fund, um, you know, he's been big on urban, I think, you know, and he said he's going to show up to give a talk. So that that's always good. You know, um, at least we got one or two people here. Yeah. Well, we don't, we don't want any new friends anyway. Um, so, uh, Jay, I think before we, we wrap this all up, do you want to tell people how, where they can find out more information? about reassembly or um, sign up or learn more about Tassin or anything like that? Yep. So for reassembly, <clears throat> the website is reassembly23.tassin.com. Uh, you know, it's just one word, reassembly23. And um, the for just for company information, 
everybody can just head over to tassin.com and the for open source information they can go to uh, www.txa uh, you know three letters uh, surprisingly i was able to get that txa.app uh, and then that should <clears throat> explain like information about settlement network how does it work this dispute resolution all the technical details so yeah um and you can always just reach out to me on orbit and yell at me and say you know what you're wrong about picasso not only you're wrong you're... <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah. all that stuff right all right well jay i think that's a, a great place to end this conversation and it was really cool to hear about all your projects and i'm Looking forward to hopefully getting to to spend some time together in person in Wyoming, uh, Montana's little brother state. So we'll yep. we'll make sure to bully you a little bit. But Jay, uh, thank you for for joining us here on the Network Age. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, it was a pleasure to be here. And uh, to all our listeners, thank you for joining us, and we'll make sure to see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Network Age. You can find us on Twitter at NetworkAgePod. You can also find us on your favorite podcast platforms where, if you leave us a good review, we might even read it aloud on the podcast. Like this one from someone whose name is totally unpronounceable, G-G-G-Y-Y-Y-U-U-U-J-H-H-H-K-H-G. I feel that's a bit of laziness. But here we go. It's titled Pretty Neat Stuff. Most of the time, I don't have any idea what these guys are on about, but they seem all right. Their names are weird, but that's my favorite part. I've listened to every episode, and I'll keep listening for now. Thank you very much to our unpronounceable friend for that very ominous review. Until next time, this has been the Network Edge.